All right, thank you for all the positive feedback from last week's message from Genesis chapter 1. We're not quite yet out of Genesis chapter 1. We only made it part of the way through Genesis chapter 1. It's such a dense book. There's so many deep, wonderful truths that apply in our lives still today. Last week we did the first five, 25 verses. Go back and have a look at the service online. If you missed it last week, we talked about the doctrine of God. We talked about how that there is in fact a God who made us and who loves us. Uh, that there is a, a, a God that means we're not some random cosmic fluke. There is a God which means that there is right and wrong. There is up and down. There is in fact truth and, and falsehood. We talked about how there was a rhythm, the poetry of Genesis. Those early chapters are, are what we might call prehistory. There's a rhythm. There's a poetic sort of pattern about them. There is a God speaking and it being so and God declaring it good and it was good and it was good and it was good. But today that pattern shifts, that pattern changes. There is a break. And the reason there is a break because... Today, the pinnacle of creation emerges, as I was telling the kids, and that is, of course, uh, humanity, male and female. He created them in his image, and he calls us very good. Let's have a look at Genesis uh, chapter 1, verses 26 through to 31. It's up on the screen there. Church, if you've got a, an iPad or an iPhone or something, you might want to uh, have it open in front of you, but it is, is on screen there. Then God said... Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful. And increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray. Loving Lord, we pray that you'll help us to take to heart this morning that we are indeed very good. We pray that you might help us to take heart this morning that you have indeed placed upon us a weighty responsibility. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll help us to see and to put into practice the Imago Dei, the image of God. Father, we pray that my words might be your words. We pray that I might decrease, that I might become less, that you might become more, that you might increase in all that is said this morning and in all that is heard. In Jesus' name, the people said... Right, now some of you might know that we have a large family in the Chapman household. You might know that we've got quite a few kids. You might not know that we are in fact a family of seven. Did you know that? Uh, the Chapman family, we have six human beings and one border collie cross Kelpie called Banjo. 
I've got a picture of Banjo. Can you see Banjo there? This is Banjo, the Border Collie. Some of you have met Banjo. Banjo is a much-loved member of our family. If you come round to our place in Maroubra, you're welcome anytime to come and say good day to Banjo. We'd love to meet you. Very friendly dog. He'll jump all over you and lick you to death. We've had him since he was a puppy. He's been on all sorts of family holidays, as you can see. His favourite place in the whole wide world is the family farm up near Armadale, where he can run and go through the bush. He's been a wonderful addition to our family, brings a lot of joy to our family as the father. Actually really appreciated having Banjo around at times when the kids go off on the farm into the bush to make a cubby. I say, take Banjo with you. And I know that he will keep an eye out for any slithery things that are ever present up on the farm. He's, a, he's much loved. He's been with us since he was a pup and he has grown up with our kids. He's an outside dog, but you'll see there in the tents every once in a while, he's allowed inside uh, in the tent under the canvas. Now, Banjo, uh, as I say, is, uh, is, is very much a member of the Chapman family. We are dog people with apologies to all the cat people out there. Um, we are dog people. Are there any other dog people here today? So you can affirm that dogs are very much members of the family, are they not? And you, uh, did any of you seen the, um, the ABC, wonderful ABC series called Mustard Dogs? They took, go check it out on iView. It's wonderful, wonderful Australian TV. A litter of working Kelpie pups uh, distributed uh, throughout Australia uh, to expert dog trainers to see how they go underneath different types of, of different country and the different types of, of trainers. And one line stood out to me in particular, a uh, real old bushy one of the masters of the trade of, of training up sheepdogs. Uh, with a tear in his eye, he said, the only thing dogs do wrong is they don't live long enough. Anyone that's ever had a dog will know that that's true. The reason I'm telling you all of this is because despite the fact that dogs are man's best friend and despite the fact that dogs are members of our family, thanks guys, you can take that off now. Get rid of Banjo for a moment. Despite the fact that Banjo is very much a much-loved member of our family, despite all of that, if the Chapman family ever fall on hard times, and I had to choose between the human members of the Chapman family and the canine member of the Chapman family, I'm sorry, Banjo, kids, cover your ears, Banjo would have to go. Banjo would be the one voted off the island. If push ever really came to shove. Now, I know that this wouldn't be a financial decision. Banjo is much cheaper to keep and to house and to feed than the kids. A cup of kibbles morning and night and he's sorted. Uh, the teenage boys, if you've raised teenage boys, will know they certainly can eat a lot more than a 20 kilo Kelpie does. And it's not even a question of obedience because Banjo is way more obedient than Carly, right? But I, I would keep her... Always a bit dangerous when you go there. It's not a question of any of those things. The fact of the matter is, is that unlike the six other members of the Chapman family, Banjo does not bear the Imago Dei, the image of God. Imago Dei, of course, meaning God. It's a theological term for this fundamental truth that we heard this morning, that all human beings, friend, all human beings bear the imprint of God. They bear the maker's mark, and therefore, they are inherently valuable, more precious than anything else in all of creation. It sets us human beings apart from the, any other animals in the animal kingdom, where, let's be honest, the rule of the jungle holds sway. 
If a rogue lion happens to wander into another lion's territory and it gets killed, there's no, there's no inquiry by the pride. They don't gather together and try to work out what happened. That's just what happens when you wander into the alpha male's territory. He was eyeing off the lionesses and the big kahuna, the alpha male, killed him. That's what you get. Let's move on. Right, what's for lunch? Wildebeest? They simply move on. On that day when I need to take Banjo to the vet for the final time so that he can run forever on the green pastures in heaven, there'll be no policeman coming knocking on my door asking if I know anything about a dead dog. The Imago Day is what sets you and I apart from the rest of creation. And when you think about it, this has massive downstream consequences here today. This has real-life consequences for all of us. If we believe what Genesis tells us here, it's going to have massive downstream impacts on how we view all manner of things. Things like race and gender and the environment, abortion, euthanasia. All of these things are going to flow from our belief that human beings are precious that they are special, that they bear the image of God and therefore have an inherent value. That our modern notion of civil rights springs from this text. It comes from this profound text. The modern notion that all human beings... Because I think most Aussies kind of get this, right? This isn't terribly... I mean, we all kind of get that human beings are precious, but it, it, it came to us from the Bible, through the Roman Empire and it, therefore into European law and jurisprudence, and eventually to us here in Sydney at the other side of, of the world. But we're so immersed in this Western culture of ours, this sort of Christendom culture, that we think that this just happens. We think that this is normal. We think that everyone understands this sort of stuff, but it isn't automatic, and it doesn't just happen. For example, Aristotle, one of the great fathers of Western thought, taught that some races were there, were born to be slaves. The ancient cultures regularly practiced infanticide. A baby that was disabled or imperfect or a girl baby in quite many cultures around the world would simply be taken out into the forest onto the mountainside and left to die. But from the start, Christians said no. From the start, the church were champions of the sick and the poor they put the rest of the culture to shame because of their belief in the sanctity of life. The Imago Dei is why Christians have always loved and valued our, our disabled friends and family members in the same way that we value any other member of our family. Same as we value any other able-bodied person. Despite some members of the human family never being able to perhaps walk or talk or do their times tables or hold a job, we maintain that they are infinitely more valuable than any champion mustard dog or even any beloved family pet or any champion racehorse. More than winks or black caviar or all of them put together as undoubtedly magnificent creatures that they are. They do not bear God's imprint. They do not bear the maker's mark. Tragically, what's happening in Western society today is that we're losing our understanding. We're losing our belief in the Imago Day. We're slowly, subtly sort of turning our 
attention to measuring someone's worth by what they can produce, by what they can achieve rather than for their inherent value, what they can contribute. So this has implications for how we treat all manner of people who may not be able to contribute very much, from the unborn to the handicapped, to our precious elders who can no longer contribute financially. A few years ago, one of the world's leading atheistic scholars said the quiet part out loud and, and outraged people. Peter Singer is his name. He's actually an Aussie, one of the world's leading sort of secular atheist scholars. And he, he made the point that there's no logical reason, really, that we need to stop killing infants at the point of birth. People were understandably furious. But, but he was right. It made perfect sense. Well, why does the baby's journey down the birth canal change its inherent value, change its inherent rights as a, as a human being? And atheistic scholars down through the ages have agreed. Jacques Derrida, one of the great French philosophers of the previous century, he actually acknowledges, he said, the concept of crimes against humanity is a Christian concept. This is an atheist scholar, by the way. It must have pained him to say this. He's undermining his own worldview. The concept of crimes against humanity is a Christian concept. And I think there would be no such thing in the law today without our Christian heritage. How about that? The Imago Day is why uh, I and members of our family uh, like to visit Light Home in India that we, uh, that we support, that this church supported last year. We like to go to, to India to visit these Dalit children to let them know that despite what the Hindu culture around them says, despite what the caste system that is very much in place says, that, that ranks them below the animals, we say, no, bugger that. We are not going to have that. We visit and we let them know, no, you are precious. You are valuable. You are made in God's image and you matter. So if you think being a Christian is about being a nice, polite, sort of subservient, tax-paying kind of citizen, well, think again. The great Martin Luther King Jr. Thanks, guys, up the top. Give me a slide showing Martin Luther King. He said, there are no gradations in the image of God. I love this quote. No gradations in the image of God. Every man, from a treble white to a bass black, is significant on God's keyboard because precisely every man is made in the image of God. Don't you love that? God's sympathy symphony is not complete without every member of the human family. Everyone is needed. And when the Imago Dei is denied, it is always the weak and the poor and the vulnerable who suffer. So many of the evils down throughout history have ultimately been denials of the Imago Dei. Think of slavery. Think of the Holocaust. The killing fields of Cambodia, the Hindu caste system, the horrors of, of communism, or indeed the Aboriginal genocide here in, in Australia. They've all ultimately been about denying the Imago Dei in another human being. Treating any other human being as a possession or as an object, or as something to really just better your own life, as a, as a means to an end, something to, for your pleasure or your advancement, to further your agenda, is a, is a denial 
of the Imago Dei. You're trying to take something that is not yours. For example, fellas, whenever you treat a woman as simply an object of your desire, as an object by a means by which you can receive pleasure, you are denying the Imago Dei. One of the really radical, subversive concepts here in Genesis is its insistence that women are equally made in God's image as men. This has had profound consequences down through history in the Western world. God gave women equal worth alongside men long before anyone burnt their bra in the 60s, right? God gave women a dignity that the world is still trying to catch up with. And historians will tell you that one of the principal reasons for the success of the Western world is its Judeo-Christian heritage that says women are equally made in God's image and are therefore valuable and are therefore able to hold their men to account, which makes for strong and stable households and families, which in turn make for a strong and stable and prosperous society. Friends, this stuff matters. This stuff matters. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis, uh, one of the great quotable men of the history. C.S. Lewis, the author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Narnia series. Have a listen to this. Magnificent. There are no ordinary people. Ever consider yourself to be an ordinary person? Don't believe it. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours like that of a gnat. Have you thought about that? You're immortal. Civilizations come and go, but you will live on. They're, he says here that their life is like the span of a gnat compared to you. But it is immortals with whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back. A load so heavy that only humility can carry it and the backs of the proud will be broken. Do you like that? He's saying every human being that crosses your path, you need to treat with a reverence and a respect and a holiness. Never writing somebody off. Is that you? Does that describe you? It's like I told the kids, God doesn't make junk. Dehumanizing words should never be upon the lips of the follower of Jesus. Amen? So let me give you some, some points of application. And that's really the first one, isn't it? Know that God doesn't make junk. Treat every human being that crosses your path as an immortal, as a precious bearer of the image of, of the divine. Secondly, in order to do that, I think you might need to know that you bear God's image. And I think a lot of people struggle with this one. I hear as a minister, every once in a while, you do come across people saying, oh, I'm not good enough. I quite often have heard people, I couldn't possibly come to church, Pete, on a Sunday. I'm not good enough. Friends, it doesn't matter how low you've gone. I want you to hear this morning that you are valuable. If you can't come to church this morning and be with us physically and you're watching online, 
Know that you are precious and valuable. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. Know that you, as an image bearer of God, are infinitely valuable. And we would love to have you with the rest of us fallen and flawed image bearers. Amen? You are precious. You are of worth. You matter. Don't let anybody tell you that you're not. Which, of course, leads us to our third point of application this morning. We should be living out our calling to reflect God with, with confidence. Unlike other faiths, we don't need to build idols. We don't need to build statues to show us what God is like. God has already created images of himself. It's you and I. We are his images out into the world. So like I was telling the kids, that's your, that's your job. That is your calling, to mirror, to reflect out into the world God's will for the world, to tell him what he is like. So think about it this way. We don't make a statue or take a photo or paint a painting just for, they're not ends of themselves, they point to something else, don't they? When I'm driving here this morning through Randwick and I pass that statue of James Cook, it's just a piece of granite, but it points to something else, doesn't it? It's a reminder of a person that actually lived that we revere for his achievements in navigation. When you put a photo of a loved one up on the wall, it's just a bit of ink on paper, but in reality, it points to something else, doesn't it? Someone that you love. So to think of your life your way. You are an image bearer. You are to reflect God to the world. The great theologian N.T. Wright, I heard, put it this way. He said one time when he was sick as a child, he was bedridden for many days, and his mother put a mirror angling from the kitchen into his bedroom so that she could keep an eye on him and he in turn could keep an eye on what was going on in the rest of the house. He says our role is similar, like an angled mirror from heaven down to earth, reflect God's glory here to earth. It's our, va- it's our vocation, our calling to show God, to mirror God, to image God, to reflect God in the lives of everyone we pass this week. Remember too, however, that mirrors can't produce their own light. My fourth, my fourth point is, remember, you are, not, you are simply a means to an end. God's glory is what we are on about in our lives as followers of Jesus. So stop trying to manufacture meaning from the things of this life, from the things of this creation. Stop trying to define your lives from anything other than from God. When you looked at the created things of this world to give your life meaning and purpose and to show to the world, that's what Facebook is. Or it's just one list. Look what I did. Here is my achievement. Give glory to me, right? Trying to sort of draw on the things of this world to give your life meaning and purpose. Hobbies or talents or even relationships, even your spouse. If you rely on the things of this world to give your life meaning and purpose, friend, know that you are asking it to carry a burden it was never designed to carry. You're going to hide God's image behind a layer of nonsense in your life. You're going to hide it. You're going to mar it with all this other stuff you, you're filling up your life with. And not only that, you're going to trample on the image of God in other people if you do that. Trying to sort of define your sense of wealth and purpose and indeed extension by others, by all of your stuff, 
by your achievements. I mean, you're going to mar, you're going to distort the image of God in those around you as well. But if you're looking to image God, if you're looking to represent Him everywhere you go, you will always be looking to serve those around you with confidence, to bring life, genuine life, in the life of yourself and indeed to others, and indeed all of creation. This plays out in environmental care as well that we'll get onto in coming weeks as well. Finally, know that despite God creating us in, in His image, of course we all sense, we all know that we are misshapen, we all are marred, we're like those funhouse mirrors that distort the body. You know those ones I'm talking about? When you stand in front of a mirror and you look really tall or really short, we're all distorted, we're all misshapen in, in some way as a result of sin, as a result of the fall. But know that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the perfect image of God. In Colossians 1, it says Jesus is the very image of the invisible God. I love the Christian faith because we don't just worship a concept. We believe that God came and lived in human form. God put on skin. He's the very image of an invisible God. Jesus himself in John 14 says, If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. He is the perfect representation of God, and therefore he's the perfect human. When you think about it, he's the best human. He lived out his, his humanity perfectly because he was the perfect representation of, of God. All this, despite the fact that he was almost the victim of infanticide, wasn't he? Despite all the injustices that he suffered, despite being marred by despots in his own time, despite being trampled upon by death, only he is the perfect image of God. He went to the cross. The cross is the perfect image of what it means to image God, to reflect God's love, his selfless love here on the earth. It is the pinnacle of what it means to reflect godliness in this life. And he did it voluntarily for you and for me.